We are glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we wanna hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story with us at amen at elevationchurch.org. If you would also like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at elevationchurch.org slash give. Simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Now go on over in your Bible to 2 Kings 13, 14 through 20. Yes, we're still in the same passage we started in. And I'm going to read it again. Verses 14 through 20, part A. Week one, our study was on the power of precision. It was kind of a double meaning to that. We were saying, aim at something. Don't just waste all of your arrows and ammunition fighting worthless battles that don't matter anyway. Have you ever just worn yourself out fighting over stuff that was imaginary? It either wasn't going to happen or was going to happen no matter what you did about it. You were so worn out by the time you actually fought it that you lost because you were swinging, just wasting your energy. So we were saying, aim at the thing that God shows you. And that was week one. But we were also saying, preside. Don't wait till you get discouraged to decide whether or not you're going to continue. Make a decision about it, a precision. Amen. Decide before the battle begins that I'm still going to be standing at the end of it. And I might be bloody and I might be bruised and my body might be sore, but I won't stop. And that's what we were talking about in week one. We talked in week two about preparation and we talked about those plowing seasons that prepare the ground for the great things that God wants to do in your life. And then we talked about the power of potential. And uh, that was a really powerful message for me because I discovered that the pain of falling short is nothing compared to the shame of stopping short. Touch your neighbor, say, Don't stop short, because there's nothing worse than to wonder what would have been, could have been. And that's kind of why we're frustrated with this King Jehoash in uh, 2 Kings 13, 14 through 20. It's because of what could have been. And we see the potential that was unfulfilled in his life, and it reminds us of ourselves. And it makes us a little afraid, and it challenges us. And so we've had a lot to think about in this fourth installment. I want to speak about the power of provision, declaring over your life that God's got what you need, and it's a matter of you receiving it and opening yourself to it. Because in the Scripture, the image of a window symbolizes both perspective because it's what you look through, and sometimes what you're looking through is just as important as what you're looking at. Okay, I, I can prove this. I don't even need the Bible, and I will read the Bible in a minute. But those, those are not my glasses. If you give them to me right now… Whoa, you got problems. <laughs> we need to pray for her. Miracles of healing. Recovery of sight to the blind. Man, you look funny. Now, before I put these on, you look you looked awesome, but what I was looking through changed the dimensions of what I'm looking at because it wasn't meant for me. Amen. I'm preaching on my recap. But another thing that a window represents is provision. Like in Malachi 3. 
where God challenges his people, if you will release what's in your hand, I will release what's in my heart. I want to bless you, but the windows are closed. and That's why we have these power windows, okay? The, the power of preparation. It opens the window of provision. God's provision often awaits our preparation. And so this week, as we talk about provision and perspective, I want to ask the question Is it possible that provision and perspective are one and the same? I'll make the case as we go here, but I'm excited about what God gave me to teach you today. And by the way, I always pray before I preach, uh, like I was riding up this morning to church and I looked out my window and before the first worship experience, there are people lined up to get to church. And I always get excited when I see that, just amazed at all the people who are coming. And, and I also get kind of terrified by it <laughs> because I, my greatest fear in life is disappointing people. I, I'm always scared I'm going to be a disappointment. And then people put a complex on me because when they meet me, they say, You look taller on screen. Like they're disappointed that I'm short or something like that, so I stay in my house till Sunday. And but I see the people lining up, and I always go through this conversation with God. God, uh, you got to speak to these people that you sent because they need something that I don't have. And furthermore, I don't even know exactly what they need. You do. God has a surveillance system on your situation. How many believe he can speak the specific thing that you need today? I mean, from the front of the room to the back of the room to the overflow, God has got what you need. And I don't even worry about it anymore because I look at myself like an Amazon.com drone that just drops it off at your doorstep and flies away. All right. So. I always pray that, God, they need something that I don't have. I feel like the disciples who had 5,000 men and women and children to feed and no bread, and yet God said, bring what you have to me, even if it seems to be too little, and watch what I will do through you. It's interesting, isn't it, that to provide for the people, Jesus did not bypass the meager supply of the disciples. He multiplied it. So the whole process of provision starts when you offer what you have, regardless of whether or not it seems to be enough to you. The little bit of time that you do have, that's the window, the, the, the perspective of provision. I wonder if provision is a matter of perspective. Elisha seems to think so. This great prophet is dying, and this new king has one chance to get what he needs from the mouth of the man of God. Let's see what happens. 2 Kings 13, 14. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. It's one thing about pressure. Pressure will cause you to seek provision and get your priorities in order. There was no seeking of Elisha's advice until the Arameans started to oppress the people of God. And when it got to that point, the king went down to see the prophet. I don't know what brought you to church today, but I sure am glad you're here. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. Don't even care what brought you here. You might have heard there were pretty girls at Elevation, but I'm glad you came. Might get a Valentine and a word from God. Amen. All at the same time. God is good. Supplies all my needs according to his glorious riches. That's not a pickup line. That's a scripture. 
All right, so he went down and he wept over him. And I understand why he's weeping. He's weeping because what he's losing is so significant. Elisha was more than just a preacher. Elisha represented the entire defense system of the nation of Israel. He was their window, not only the window through which they saw the activity of God, but the window through which God would give them many times the protection from their enemies. He had a unique ability to strategically cut off the enemy's advances, and he would tell the kings where the enemy was going to attack so that they could be ready for it. Note that it did not prevent the attack from happening. It provided the strength to withstand the attack. Sometimes we get confused about the provision of God because we mistakenly believe that the provision of God will mean the prevention of problems. When we ask God to provide for us, what we're actually asking him to do, truth be told, is to eliminate the need. In other words, God, create a life for me that will make you unnecessary, and he won't do it. He's weeping over what's leaving, and Elisha is pointing to what's left. And in every season of my life, I have the choice. Watch this. My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha is about to leave the building, but before he goes, he points to the provision. He points to the provision. I believe God wants to point out the provision that he's placed in front of you in your life today, and I've been asking him to do that. Watch this. Elisha said, verse 15, get a bow and some arrows. Now, the arrows did not magically appear at this point. The bow didn't fall down out of the sky. It had been there all along. He is simply instructing the king to locate what has been there all along, what was in the house when he came. Now, he instructs him to take it in his hands, and notice that he does not tell the king to study the composition of the bow and the arrow, or to browse a catalog of bow and arrows, or to read the history of bows and arrows. Because you know, sometimes when we come to church, we want to learn stuff about trivial historical details that don't require us to do anything. But instead, Pastor <laughs> Stephen, get a bow, touch your neighbor, say, do something with it. Do something with this word. Make up your mind in advance. Even if I don't like that preacher's pink shirt, if he says one thing that I can apply in my life today, I'm going to use it. Get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. He was the original Nike advertisement. He did so. Just do it. Take the bow in your hands. He said, to the king of Israel, and when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. This message is for somebody at Gaston today. Get ready. It's going to come. And Then verse 17 is our theme verse where he says, open the east window, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. And Then he declared, watch this promise, the Lord's arrow of victory. The arrow of victory over Aram. If Paul were writing, he would say that I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Yeah. If John were writing, he would say, This is the victory that overcomes the world. The arrow of victory, the Lord's arrow of victory. God is the source of my supply, God is the source of my strength. 
It's the Lord's arrow of victory, but he put it in your hands. God gave the victory, but you must take the shot. Now I feel the spirit of Wayne Gretzky coming on me. I don't even like hockey. But he said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And he shot the arrow, but what happened next is tragic because he had the opportunity of a lifetime to completely defeat the enemy that was oppressing him, and he missed it. He missed it. He missed it because he didn't do… Watch this. Verse 18, the prophet said, take the arrows, and the king took them, strike the ground, and he struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with them and said, you only did half of what you should have done. You had more arrows that you didn't use. And This is where I want to key in today. It is significant that it was not a lack of arrows or artillery that caused the king to miss the potential victory. It was not the lack of weapons. It was the lack of will. If you would have used every arrow that you had, you would have completely defeated this thing, and now you only defeat it three times. The power of provision. God has given me what I need for the season that I'm in, and I have a choice to make today and every day. Will I weep over what I'm losing? Or will I wield the weapons that are left? Provision, perspective. The two are connected. I'll tell you a story I didn't tell any of the other worship experiences because I'm kind of partial to you guys because after you, I'm done. <laughs> We're on vacation this summer, and I turned on the windshield wipers, and Graham was sitting in the passenger seat. The windshield was dirty. That's what I noticed. He said, Daddy, when you turn on the windshield wipers, I pretend there's a race. He said, the dirty triangle that the windshield wipers don't get to, that's the shark's fin. The part of the windshield that the wipers clean, that's a whale. The wipers are the dolphin, and when you turn them on, they're jumping. Here's why I told you that story. I was looking at a dirty windshield. He was looking into the windshield. I saw a dirty window. He saw SeaWorld. And here's my premise. It's about perspective. Repeat after me. What I see is up to me. Elisha was a seer, and when he saw something, he spoke, and he spoke something, and he saw something, and the needs of the people materialized because of Elisha's ability to see and to speak. There is a connection between your vision and your victory. Your perspective is connected to your provision. But my, my mind plays these tricks on me. I, I only see uh, the dirty windshield. Here's the thing that my mind is always noticing. I'm always noticing and asking myself the question, and I have the ability to work in any situation to walk in, and I automatically notice what I'm missing. 
That's what my brain tends to think when I walk into a situation. And I want you to pray for me because this is a terrible question just to walk in. Do you all have that question? Because I want it on the screen. My brain is constantly asking the question walking into any situation. Flow with me. What am I missing? What am I missing? I'm really good at weeping over what isn't there or worrying over what isn't there. My brain is trained to do it. It's almost as if I, I feel like somewhere along in my life I took a class on how to walk into any situation and notice what I'm missing, what I don't have, what I can't do, what I can't control. Now, I give myself a little credit because some people don't even notice the need. They just walk by it. It amazes me sometimes what my children will not even see that needs to be done. It's not that they didn't do it. It's that they didn't even see that it needed to be done. One of my children asked Holly the other day, you mean I have to take a bath every day? He doesn't see the need because he doesn't smell the, the stench. You know, you can get to a place in your life where you've been in a situation and condition so long that everybody else smells it but you. I mean, you can get to the place where you don't even see the need. I remember a few years ago, I took a whole group of staff members, and the trash cans in the office were just overflowing, not kind of full, overflowing. And I, and I walked a group of staff around, and I said, answer me a question. Did you not take these, this trash out because you, you, didn't, you didn't want to take it out? Or did you not notice? And you know what? Honest to God, they didn't even notice the need, or at least that's what they told me. And some people don't even notice. Worse yet, sometimes we don't see the need because all we see is the symptom. Can I preach a little bit? In your body, this is called referred pain. It's when you have something wrong in your chest, but you feel it in your neck, so you're trying to fix it in a place that it is not coming from. And when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he is also implying that God is the only one who knows what I really need, what I really need. When I pray, give me this day my daily bread, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, I no longer pray, God, give me what I think I need, but give me what you know I need. God is the only one who has been in my tomorrow, so he's the only one who knows what I'm going to need when I get there. And if he knows I need to fight a lion, so I'll be ready for Goliath. I want to fight the lion. I don't want him to prevent the fight. I want him to provide the faith so that I will… Because if I don't fight Goliath, I can't get his sword, and if I don't get his sword, it won't be in storage when I need it. God knows what I need. He is my source. Somebody shout, God is my source. Tell it to the person sitting next to you. You're not my source. My job is not my source. My boss is not my source. See, there are some things in life that, that are nice to have, 
but I don't really need them to survive. I love when Holly says this to me, and Valentine's Day is coming up, so maybe she'll say this to me on Tuesday. She'll say, I appreciate everything you've given me because I try to take care of her. I really do. And always to the best of my ability. Sometimes that meant water and we eat chips at the Mexican and share a Speedy Gonzalez. But sometimes that meant I could take her to Morton's. But whether it was Mexican or Morton's, it didn't matter. I was always giving her what I could. But every once in a while, she'll tell me, she'll tell me something like this. It's not the things that you gave me, and, and I think she means it. It's not the things, because she was there with me when there weren't any things. It's not the things. She loved me in Juniper Terrace, apartment C15. She loved me in the duplex. I don't love you for the Denali. I love you in the duplex. It's not what you gave me. Our love is not contingent upon a material possession. And I wonder, have I come to that place in my relationship with God that I really believe that if he didn't give it, I don't need it? My brain tells me differently. My brain tells me, even while I'm preaching this sermon, that I am not intelligent enough, articulate enough. When I go to tell my little jokes, I'm not comical enough because my brain picks out the people who look hateful in the crowd every time. I don't know how I find y'all, but I find you somehow. <laughs> and my brain will pick out what's missing. There could be a thousand people standing up, preach, pastor, but my little brain. You too? I mean, I can walk in a situation and find what's wrong in a minute. Notice who wasn't nice to me in a minute. Always notice what I'm missing. Always notice what I lack. Always notice what I've lost. But if I only notice what I lack and what I've lost, I won't use what I have left. And what God wants to do through my life next is not contingent upon what I lack or what I've lost. Come on, you better help me preach. Get a bow. Get some arrows. Punch your neighbor in the arm and say, what you have is what you need. 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 God should have made me taller. I didn't choose to be five foot nine. Five foot nine is all I need. That's all I need. I don't need any extra inches. Praise the Lord. One time I called a guy to thank him for contributing to the church, and he said, I appreciate your call. It's nice, but I want you to know it's not needed. And I thought it was needed because he gave a million dollars to the church. I thought if you gave a million dollars, you ought to get a phone call. From the head man. <laughs> he said, I appreciate it, and it's nice to hear from you, but it's not needed. I never forgot what he said. This was years ago. And uh, this week, I was reminded of one time when Paul, he was in prison, right? He's writing to the church at Philippi who just contributed toward his legal defense. And so Paul writes to them to thank them and express his gratitude. 
He says, hey, I got your gift, and I was happy for it. In fact, I rejoice greatly. This is Philippians 4, verse 10, that you renewed your concern for me at last. It took a while. But I know that you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. Now, that's important, too, because Paul's problem created their opportunity. Sometimes we miss God's provision because it is disguised as a problem. And we don't receive the provision because it's wrapped in a package that looks like a problem. And we keep sending back the gift that God is trying to bestow upon us because it doesn't feel good. Sometimes God will send correction into your life to make you better. You've been praying for God to make you better, but he didn't do it through somebody telling you how good you are. He sent somebody to correct you, but you don't like the way correction feels. So rather than receive the correction, which is a gift to take you where God is calling you to, you get offended and quit. And God's provision comes wrapped in strange packages, and so for Paul, he's in prison. And God provides for him through the church, and he's writing back to them, and he said, Thank you for the gift. I received it. I was happy about it, and I appreciate it. But watch what he says in the next verse. He said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned this is something that you are not born with. You don't know what you need. I mean, you are born just screaming. You don't know what you need. You just, you just know that you, you need to eat. You don't understand the process, but life is the process of God teaching you that he is the one who feeds you. Sometimes he'll do it over here. Sometimes he'll do it over there. Sometimes he'll do it through nobody at all. Sometimes he'll do it when you're all alone. But when God is your source, you will never lack supply. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For your Father knows you need these things. He knows what I need. And Paul says, It's nice. But I don't need it. It's nice, but I don't need it. I appreciate what you bought for me, Holly said. It's nice, but I don't need it. I like it, but I don't need it. Even let me tell you something right, right here. Stand back up. I appreciate your passion. I was watching you in worship, and here I am preaching, and you are standing up like you are ready to charge the devil with a Nerf bow and arrow. And I love it. I love it. I love your response to the Word of God. It's nice, but I want you to know I don't need it. Okay? I'm going to preach this if you stand up and shout me down. I'm going to preach it if you sit there and sleep. Because I can't hold it in. It's my calling, it's my assignment. See, if you want to respond, that's nice. But even if you don't respond, I've got a word from God, and I've got to get it out. This is 
for all of you who have been underappreciated in the position you're in. You got to come to the place where you say, you know, it's nice when people thank me. It's nice when people notice me. But God is my rewarder. God is my source. God is my supply. I don't need it. Be nice to have a date on Valentine's Day, but I don't need it. I'll take myself out for pasta. I'll buy my own shrimp. Okay. High five somebody say I don't need it. If God didn't give it, I don't need it. If it's not in my reach, it's not for this season. And if he let it go, I will too. Because I found out the deeper the valley, the greener the grass. And he will never lead me to a place that he will not feed me. And he will never send me into a situation that he does not supply for. So Elisha had the unique ability to go into the same situation that others had walked into and seen only shortage and see God's supply. Who is this for today? You know who I'm worried about? The one who pretends like they have no need. Or, or the one who has become so calloused in your heart. The one who has become so dependent on dysfunctional systems that cannot feed you in a sustainable way. That you have lost your ability to come before God and say, I need you. A broken and a contrite heart he will not despise, but the arrogant and the proud he will cast down. The prerequisite for supply is that you know your need. I need you, God. I need you. If I, if I see you, if I seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things, these things, see, they're not needs, they're things. All I need is him. And he will supply all my needs. So I've been I've been switching my question a little bit. Instead of asking the question, what am I missing? Because I can stay stuck there forever. I'm a broken person. There are skills I do not have. There are talents I cannot employ. There are resources I cannot access. And if I focus on that my whole life, it will feed my fear and starve my faith, and I will not receive what Jesus died to give me. For every needy person in the place today, let me give you a better question. Instead of walking into the situation and asking the question, what am I missing? Walk into the same situation and instead of asking the question, what am I missing, ask the question, what am I missing? What am I not seeing. What is it that God has put in front of me? What are the weapons that are within my reach that I am not seeing? Pro-vision. In this message, freedom, I'm telling you, man, because you have been so stuck in what was 
weeping at the feet of Elisha. He's gone now. You have been so stuck in what's not, what you don't have, what you can't do. Sweetheart, if I would have made a list of everything I can't do and everything I'm bad at, there would not be an Elevation Church. I'm serious. I'm serious. The devil's going to beat me up for preaching to you like this because when it gets real like this, I, I, I open myself and sometimes it feels like I'm just opening myself, but there is so much. I, I wish I could take some time and talk to you about my weaknesses. I mean, there are so many weaknesses that I have, but I have never allowed my weaknesses to prevent me from using my weapons. Who am I preaching to? I got a bow. I got an arrow. I intend to use every arrow in my quiver. I'm sorry. So Peter and John are going to the gate called Beautiful. They're just going to church one day. And along the way to church, because destiny will often disguise itself as a distraction. That was too quick. <laughs> they were walking to church, and there was a beggar at the gate called Beautiful asking them for alms. He was shaking a cup in their face, asking them for some spare change. But how many know God doesn't always give you the kind of change that you ask for? See, God knows the need. Beneath the need, beneath the need, beneath the need, beneath the need, beneath the need. So this man has been lame since birth. He's never been able to walk. He's doing the best that he can. He's in the only place that he thinks he can get any kind of provision or assistance at all. And here comes Peter, and here comes John, and, and, and apparently they look like the kind of people who would be willing to, to help a little bit. And so he asks them boldly. In fact, the Bible says in verse 2 that he saw Peter and John going up to the temple. Now, if he hadn't been in the right place, he wouldn't have seen his provision. That's why I got to come to church, because if I don't get in the right place, I might miss the provision. I might miss the word that God wants to give me to fight the battle that I don't even know about yet. So I got to get there. And as he's sitting there, he sees, he sees, verse 3, he sees Peter and John. He sees provision. Vision. I'm going to stay right here. Provision. And the wipers are the dolphins, and the dirt is the shark. What do you mean, boy? It's a dirty windshield. No, I, I see something in it. I see something. I see something. Maybe that's why he said we need to have faith like a child. And stop being so blind to our supply. The enemy, if, if he can't keep you from seeing the need, then he will keep you blind to the supply. And when he saw Peter coming, he said, Hook a brother up. And Peter said, I got good news and bad news. The, 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 the good news is, I see you. Look at it. It says that. Not only did the man see Peter and John, but Peter looked straight at him. I wonder how many people had passed by him. 
I wonder how many people had stepped over him. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I mean, we all get in a hurry, and we're never going to be able to do everything for everyone. That's not my point. My point is that in this particular passage, the miracle was sitting there in the form of something that everyone else walked past. And Peter looked at him, and he was there. I don't think Peter was the first one to church, nor was he the last one. But he looked at him, and he saw something. He saw an opportunity disguised as a problem. God is an optometrist. He wants to fix the way you see. You've been asking, will I have what it takes? And God is asking, will you take what you've got? Get a bow. Get some arrows. It's right there. It's right there. I mean, God will hide your provision in plain sight to cause you to seek for him. Sometimes as men, we ask God to give us wisdom, and he hides it in our wives if we'll listen. I thought I would get some female support and endorsement. Hidden provision, something you've been walking past. That's what Elisha was able to do. That's what the window is for, to see God is working, to see God at work beneath the surface. God, show me where you're working in this situation. That's my prayer. I assume that you are. You're always working. Now open my eyes to see the miracle already in progress. Touch my eyes so I can see. Some of y'all I see around this church have been with me a long time. I have never preached a more anointed sermon than this one right now. God is doing corrective eye surgery. This is like LASIK for the soul right now. God is trying to get you back. You've been looking at situations through the lens of limitation, but God said today, I'm not going to change your situation. I'm going to take off your spectacles so you can see your situation through the lens of my provision. I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You're looking at it wrong. It's not a dirty windshield. It's Shamu. You've been praying for patience. God sent you preschoolers. It's provision wrapped in pampers. Y'all better talk to me. I'll preach all day. Ain't no parking lot for me to clear right now. I feel on fire with the Word of God. Peter looked at the man, and where others saw an inconvenience, he saw an opportunity. And he looked straight at him, opened the east window, looked straight at the thing that's in your way. Don't divert your attention. Don't distract yourself. Look at it. See it for what it is. See it for what it can be. And then he spoke to it. First he saw it, and then he spoke to it. And, and Peter looked at the man, and then Peter told the man, look at us. You see a common theme in this passage? Every good thing that happened happened by virtue of perspective. 
provision for the vision. Pro vision. Vocabulary lesson. Pro for vision. Sight. I want to see how God is working this for the good of those who love him. God is for me, not against me. I just got to open my eyes to see it. And the man was expecting something that was much less than what God was willing to give. Could that be you? Notice what happened. Man, this part got good to me when I was preaching it over at the 9.30, and I hope I can do it right now. I'm closing. I really am closing, kind of, sort of, in my own little way. Oh, man. If I could get you to see this. God, help me say it like I see it. Because I see it, I see it, I see that he wanted to get something, but first he had to give something. Look at verse 5. The man gave them his attention. What if it's not about what you're not getting that is causing you to live in a state of shortage? What if the windows are closed because you wouldn't open them? And God will test you on this. He will test you on this because he does not want you dependent on sources of energy or affirmation that are not connected to his heart. And he will let a brook dry up so that you'll move on and realize it wasn't the birds that were feeding you to begin with. It was him. It was him. He is my supply in every season. For whoever the three people are that I'm preaching this to. When he gave them his attention, God exceeded his expectation. He expected to get something from them. And I don't know what you're expecting God to do in this season of your life that he won't do yet, because usually when we ask God for change, what we really want him to change is the situation, not ourselves. Sometimes when I preach, I don't feel anything. Sometimes I feel something. And the times when I didn't feel anything, I used to think something was wrong. And God spoke to me really very clearly. It's louder than out loud. It's not out loud. It's louder than that. You know what I'm saying? It's like this sense that you know. God said, the reason you don't feel anything is because I want to set you free from the need to feel it to do it. I don't need you to feel. I need you to preach. I don't want you to depend on the feeling of my presence. I want you to see it when you can't feel it. I want you to know it when the sensation of your emotions do not confirm it. And sometimes God will bypass what you want to give you what you need. Now and then was able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. We always think that that verse is pointing upward. He's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine. And I believe it is that the arrow of victory is flying over Aram. But what if that verse works both ways? What if he wants to do something deeper than what I'm asking him to do? A deep work. I want to do a deeper work. 
I don't just want to give you people in your life to encourage you. I want to teach you how to encourage others. I learned how to fight the devil. If nobody texts me to encourage, I go to work on my own contact section, and I start finding people. See, I'm teaching the devil, don't mess with me, because I'll cut off your head with your own sword. You discourage me, and I'll encourage them. And Peter said, I'm not going to give you what you want. I don't have it. I don't have what you think you need, but such as I have, I give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get a bow, get some arrows. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the name above every name, the name above every knee. Who is this message for? God is reaching his hand out to you. God is reaching his hand out to you. Will you receive it right now? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. The man wanted a meal, but he got a miracle. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more. He shall provide. shall supply all my needs. The ones I see, the ones I don't see. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place today to meet every need. I said the Spirit of the Lord is in this place today. Rock Hill, the Spirit of the Lord. Blakeney, Valentine, Matthews, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. God's hand cannot bless your clenched fist. God, what am I walking past? What am I walking past? I keep talking about my limitation. What am I walking past? Silver and gold have I none. I keep weeping over the season that is behind me. What am I missing that's right in front of me? Can we flip it this week? Faith flips the question to know that God has placed his provision. That's what it means, provision. for Before you even got there, he put the supply in the situation, and you have to see it. I got to close. If you received this message today, lift both your hands in the air. Just lift your hands to your Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. We believe that you will feed us what we need for the season that we're in. Pray that after me. Feed me what I need for the season that I'm in. God, we trust you in this moment. We receive in this moment the grace that we need for the calling that we have received. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Elevation Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. 
You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat by using at Elevation Church. 